I honestly believe that they're going to need a very intentional minimum three-year plan. I have tech companies and companies talking to me last year, wanting to hire me for that. And they wanted a one-year plan. And I said, you can't do it in a year. First of all, it's going to take a year for people to figure out your company while they're there. 18 months for them to decide if they're going to stay, if you're treating them fairly enough. And if there's an, enough opportunity and growth or enough mentors or sponsors or what have you to be there, especially when you're hiring seasonal sales individuals. And so to say, you know, so you need that and you need a plan for is how you're going to implement those people and, you know, within your organization, within, you know, giving them that additional exposure because we all want engaged employees, right? And I realized I was a really, really engaged employee, which kept me at my company longer than I was being fairly treated to be there. So how do you create engaged employees? And it's going to take you, you know, 18 months, they're just figuring it out. It's gonna take that additional, you know, 18 months for you to get them involved in different things and to highlight them and, and find out where they're going and continue with those touch points. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I've got Joyce Johnson with us, and we're going to be talking about empowering the next generation of inclusive sales leaders. So exciting topic today. Uh, Joyce, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, and just by way of introduction, Joyce is an award-winning sales champion, uh, speaker, seven times author, coach and the founder of Why Sales Network. She started her sales career in professional sports and later entered the telecommunications industry as a sales director in global markets. Joyce has been a mentor for over 20 years and she's most passionate about diversity and empowering the next generation of sales leaders. So let's jump into it. Joyce, uh, first, can you give us a brief overview of the discrepancy between African-American graduates and white graduates in the sales industry. Wow, that's a mouthful there. Just <laughs> jump right in there, Ron, don't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just jump right in there. You know, um, Steve, I would say the biggest part and things that I have noticed is that, you know, we're going out and recruiting, um, you know, college students, the rising seniors and things before they graduate and those uh, right after graduation, is that we are a lot of times, and I say we, I, I keep saying we, I know I love corporate, but saying we hold, held myself responsible for that as well, is that we were going to the HBCUs or recruiting the African-American students and minority students for call center jobs, right? So we'll recruit them into the call center. Here you have this college graduates, nothing wrong with a call center job is sales. You know, either they're um, taking inbound calls, in some cases they're making outbound calls. And those students will come in at a lower salary, less of an opportunity for commissions. And, you know, it, it, it just sort of felt like, okay, here you go and be happy to have work. And so, then we would go to the other schools, the predominantly white um, institutions and, um, and we get calls from, you know, um, leaders with their friends, kids and things of that nature. And we would bring them in, give them $50,000 base salary, maybe 60, 
put them out in the field and, you know, and they're earning $100,000 their first year. Whereas maybe the, the other students were earning 50. And having more room. So when you're in a call center also in most companies, when you're in a call center, that is the lower grade job. So it takes longer a lot of times to move up. You actually have to move up to get into an outside sales role. The outside sales role is considered you know, the rock star nation. That's the NBA. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so I mean, it immediately creates a gap. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, I mean, if that's uh that's a huge issue if we're just bringing people in at different levels from the beginning. And, and you mentioned the nepotism issue too, which I think is, is definitely something that a lot of, a lot of cultures struggle with around the world. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if, if we're, and so this is something that you witnessed at a company that you were a part of where it were just kind of, the across the board bringing in african-american students at a, at a different level than than the uh the, the students from the predominantly white colleges absolutely and so when we did have the um the african-american students we may bring in you know a handful of them you know um my a big part of my role in the african-american business resource groups the women's resource groups is to make sure we're providing mentorship for them and um, helping them to make sure that they're getting those those additives of trainings and things that they need. You know, I would I had a um, one year I actually had two young ladies I was mentoring one out of Miami that ended up moving to the Houston market because her job was going away and I was like, look, you can live anywhere for two years. <laughs> and then the other that was in San Antonio market moved from Houston to San Antonio. So it's a little weird, but I would go in and say, okay let's whiteboard your top five opportunities. And this is how you need to begin thinking about these opportunities because no one was giving them that additional mentorship that they need. But since I had a job, uh, my role was a traveling role and I had customers in those cities, I was able to then give them that. Mentorship is so important. And, and I think that, uh, and I guess this is kind of related to nepotism, but, uh, but it's subtler, a lack of mentors in your direct community um, then all of a sudden you don't have access to the information and the understanding of how to get the better jobs, how to position yourself for roles. Um, that's, that's definitely been a big, big part of what we've seen in our kind of, uh, internship program and, and hiring out a college program that we have at our company. Um, kids from, from like expensive, more expensive private schools, have a way better understanding of kind of how to get jobs and kind of the, they understand the process better probably because their parents have you know kind of corporate jobs of that nature whereas um kids from some other schools might not have the same understanding of how how to position yourself and how to go through the process successfully right so mentorship you know so i had important. to figure it out you know, I had to figure it out. And that's why I'm so passionate about working with college students. So my family, everyone was in a medical field. I grew up in Galveston, Texas as a small island, 40 minutes south of Houston, Texas. Um, until Hurricane Ike hit, we were well known for our medical center. So a lot of nurses in my family, folks working in dialysis, um, you know, in, in those areas. And so, you know, I wanting to go a different direction that wasn't medical, you know, they called as many people as they could to, to help me. And gratefully, I had amazing um, college mentors that took me under their wing. And I also worked in a, probably 
next to the president's office, the most professional office and most where more things happen than anything, I had the um, opportunity to work in an athletic department. And, you know, at a lot of colleges, that's where the money is, that's where the courting is, and, you know, and things like that. So I had opportunity to work, you know, with the athletic director, sports information, um, you know, the public relations team for the university. That's, yeah, that's so important just to see how the professional world works and get exposed to that. I, I think in, internships are so important and college jobs are so important to get that exposure. Yes. Yes. And, and when you go to that too, my college internship was an unpaid college internship um, at, you know, um, 104 KRB here in Houston, Texas. And then I know some students that were there um, when I was there and that they, they have paid internship. And I was thinking to myself, well, why is my internship not paid? <laughs> sure. You know, my mom had to buy me a car because I went to school at Purview A&M University, which is a historical black college university, 40 miles north of Houston. So I went from south of Houston through Houston to north of Houston for college. And so I didn't have a car that wasn't in my family budget. I wasn't one of those kids that had a car in high school or in college. And so I got a car that last year. So I'd be able to commute to go to an internship that didn't pay and then work two jobs to take care of myself outside of that. Yeah, for and that kind of speaks back to what a big advantage it is to come from a situation where there is um, resources and access to funds. Um, just get, you know, it can get you, it can get you ahead in in, in so many different areas. And, and conversely, if if that's not there, it can leave you, you know, kept playing catch up. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I think that for myself. I'm not sure how much catch up I did. I think that I had some situations come up of opportunities come to me that maybe I didn't I didn't have a mentor to guide me through those conversations or or how to really get in there and take advantage of that. And I'd have, I guess, what you call a sponsor because I talk about sponsorship as well in the corporate arena and how important it is not to just have someone mentor you and guide you, but have someone who are, who's in those rooms that have the power to make decisions and the influence to, you know, to put you into different roles. They, and they know that those roles are taking place, right? They know that the opportunities are there and they can say, okay, well, I have, uh, you know, we have a young colleague who um, could be very successful in this role and what have you. And so a lot of times your sponsors, even more to your mentors, do not look like you, right? Or do not look like me when I'm in corporate. And so I'm always, I think I've always had to kind of push and push and find ways to network myself. And I just always say, keep shaking hands. So I had to shake a lot of hands and basically always selling myself and knowing what I wanted my next step to be and making those those moves um, to get myself there, not a lot of sponsorship. Well, and I'd love to hear more about your experiences that you had entering a sales team as a woman of color, because I think that's an important thing for a lot of our listeners to kind of uh, develop more empathy around. Um, you know, the, the negative experiences, the, the potentially positive experiences and, and, and anything that you could share with us about, you know, what, what that was like. 
Yeah. You know, and I can share something with you uh, on it and then also something real time that I'm thinking about now. So you see me today, I have my hair and, and what we call, you know, Africa's called this twist. And so I've been having some hair problems. Um, you know, women, a lot of women have hair problems. We, they, they always, um, you know, relate hair problems and balding or what have you to men, but women have it too. And so, but one of the things in, you know, in corporate, it, I never felt it was safe or acceptable for me to wear my hair like this. I just wouldn't have done it. Right. This um, has been, you know, last six months entrepreneurship and just needing to give my rest so that hopefully it'll grow out. And I can remember one time, um, it, it, you know, having a customer in the oil and gas industry and him being very challenging to work with. And so for me, I always think if I can get in front of a customer, I got him, right? So we were, you know, he was out of town, he was in Tyler, Texas. And so I said, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna go there. And I flew into Dallas, had some meetings, rented a car, you know, to go to Louisiana, stop and Tyler my way. And I went to his office and I saw this old, you know, they was kind of like very rude getting me around campus. Like, it was like a, a little military base. And it's like, you know, that they, um, you know, used as their headquarters, like, figure it out, just get here. This is where I'm going to be. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then it starts raining and no one's directing me, but I, you know, I got there early as I always did to make it happen. And I got in front of his office and I saw the wood paneling and a very old school and how everyone was treating me. Um, you know, receptions wouldn't shake my hand and things of that nature. And I said, okay, I get it. I grew up in the South, I get it. And I, by nature, always say yes, sir, no, sir, anyway. But I really felt I had to like really tone myself down a lot that day. And my hair was in this little Afro because I was having these hair problems. And my aunt said, it's just hair. And she started cutting it all off. And I was in a panic zone. Like, oh my gosh. So he continued, you know, we did have a better relationship after we met and I kind of understood him and, and his old school way and how he um, related his being in his office told me everything about him. Right. And so I went when my hair grew a little bit more. It's like, you know, I just, I feel so uncomfortable. I feel like I'm being judged and people are making snide remarks to me and things. So I go to meet with him. I, um, I go and I get my hair weaved. Go get some hair weaved. You hear women say that. Got some hair weaved my head. And I go into the office to meet with him and he says, Oh my goodness, finally you got some hair. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I think, I think that, <laughs> that, that is an area that is poorly understood by many people and 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 uh and, and we could all use a little education on it yeah he said finally you got some hair and so then i said yeah i said you want some they could have some for you too because he was a ball guy <laughs> and i could have gotten fired you know but he fell out laughing just like you're laughing and i started laughing and it just it was size breaker for us it changed the game for we, so, we all have our and, hair challenges, right? I mean. <laughs> right. So it changed the game for us. And then I explained to him after that, the reason I had to cut my hair was because I was having problems with my hair and I needed to do that. Or whatever. And so he became empathetic to that because mm -hmm. he didn't, he did, you know, he was like, oh, well, I didn't realize that. And I'm like, yeah, thinking to myself, just like you, why you had to cut yours off. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um. A lot of, you know, just many challenges being that only woman in a room. I joked with you earlier about my red lipstick. 
Um, I began to wear the red lipstick years ago because I um, read or I was listening to something on Lucille Balls that I wasn't reading it. And it said how although she was in charge of her company, her shows and her business, that she had to be, you know, a little dainty in the room with all the men. So she wore her red lipstick so they wouldn't be as offended. So I'm like, oh my gosh, that works. I had worn like, you know, just nude browns and things like that before. I immediately went out and purchased like three, four different red lipsticks until I got the one that worked for me. And I have been wearing, and people think that I, that red is my favorite color or something. It's a brand. And I, yes, I love it now. And I love the red lipstick on me, but I was so uncomfortable wearing red lipstick before. I was like, how inappropriate to wear red lipstick in corporate, but then, Hey, it worked. <laughs> Interesting. And what do you think that, so I, I guess the, the a, a big part of the point here is that like, there's, there's all these pressures and things that, that women and, and especially women of color have to deal with in these environments. What should, um, what should people in positions of power or who are, who are already a part of these teams and leadership roles, or, or even as members of these teams, what, what could they do to make, make, make it easier to enter a team, uh, make, make it easier for women of color to, to enter their teams and, and to be successful? You know, just, just open up the door to, uh, to treat everyone equal, right? Equality, because we are talented, we are smart, we are sharp, we are hardworking, everyone says that, right? Um, and so just open it up. There may be a position that, that I've wanted and I, and I earned and I have the background, I have the training and what have you, and I'm not gonna get it because someone has a friend that doesn't have the training, the education, the background to do it, but their friend are there a, a relative of a friend's and they're mm -hmm. going to put them in that position. Right. You know, so be more mindful of that, right? Be just be more mindful. And 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 honestly, some people just don't want to do it. Sure. So the CEOs are going to have to stop outsourcing this. And I and I say outsourcing, but it's really internal. When I say outsourcing, they're going to have to stop making it the responsibility of the HR manager or making it the responsibility of the chief diversity officer, whatever. The CEOs of the company are going to have to make a decision that they're going to be involved in this process on a weekly basis with the checks and balances and assuring that, you know, and that people are um, providing that equality and and that that hiring process um, is is a little you know better than what it's what it's been. And and what about when someone's joining your team? Um, what would what do you think would be helpful for you if when if you look think back to when you were joining a team that was predominantly male or predominantly um, white? What what would be helpful to you that those team members could have done or the leadership of that team could have done to smooth that experience for you and make it make it work better? You know, I would say maybe have assigned me, a, you know, you have a mentor on your team you get assigned to that's normally not in your corner. I wrote it, uh, my book, I think this last book, No Back Doors for Me, like never trust your assigned mentor, but also maybe um, assigning a, a woman mentor or an African-American mentor in leadership that, um, you know, was outside of the team. 
someone, sure. someone else that you can talk to and someone to guide you. Because again, when you assign someone in leadership to help someone, now you're giving them opportunity also to have a sponsor. And as I said before, the sponsors are the ones that can now say, oh, if someone say, you know, well, I want to hire someone else. I say, well, no, this is the person for the job because I know this person. I've worked with this person. I've had personal conversations with this individual and I've gotten to know this individual and this is the right person for the role. And a lot of times, you know, what I've experienced, um, you know, in recent years is that, you know, a department or someone to reach out to the African-American employee resource groups and say that they're hiring. And it's really just to check the box, right? That old Rooney rule, you know, let, let's interview someone. And then when you're done interviewing, oh, you were the most prepared. You, you know, you came into the city on your own with your own money. You interviewed and networked with the entire team. No doubt that you can do this. However, but you're just waiting on it, right? And someone else gets the role. And then I, um, the, one of the last roles I applied for internally, someone calls me and say, you know what? I realized when they hired who they hired, that's who they were gonna put in there, you know? But when I walked that floor of that organization, there was no one that looked like me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No one that looked like me. Um, and how, how do you think we can, what would, how, how, to, how does an organization overcome that challenge? You know, they're gonna have to overcome it one by, you know, yes, one by hiring, but I also have been, um, so, in 2020, a lot of companies, a lot of people, because I do a lot of networking, go to a lot of conferences and things, were aware of my work in diversity and inclusion. It's totally been a volunteer position for me in corporate, just something I'm passionate about. And sales has been my job. <laughs> so um, individuals are coming to me and asking me that same conversation, that same question, right? And so I registered for the um, diversity and inclusion course over at Cornell University because I said I needed to really get the foundational um, piece of it. I had always led, you know, by my heart and common sense. And um, so that I can really speak better to that. And I, you know, I honestly believe that they're going to need a very intentional minimum three-year plan. I have tech companies and companies talking to me last year, wanting to hire me for that. And they wanted a one year plan. And I said, you can't do it in a year. First of all, it's gonna take a year for people to figure out your company while they're there. 18 months for them to decide if they're gonna stay, if you're treating them fairly enough. And if there's an, enough opportunity and growth or enough mentors or sponsors or what have you to be there, especially when you're hiring seasonal sales individuals. And so to say, you know, so you need that and you need a plan for is how you're going to implement those people and, you know, within your organization, within, you know, giving them that additional exposure because we all want engaged employees, right? And I realized I was a really, really engaged employee, which kept me at my company longer than I was being fairly treated to be there. So how do you create engaged employees? And it's going to take you, you know, 18 months, they're just figuring it out. It's going to take that additional, you know, 18 months for you to get them involved in different things and to highlight them and, and find out where they're going and continue with those touch points. And maybe even like when they have college students, 
go, um, you know, they have programs, they hire college students and you work in finance, you work in sales, you work here, you sort of do a six month, three month tour um, in different departments. I think that there needs to be some type of opportunity for that as well. And now that's harder when you're hiring salespeople, you know, because they need to sell, but with people coming in in other roles that co-cross training, um, even if, you know what, even if it's for a day a month, two days a month, to be able to get that and it gets exposure to um, different roles, different um, company leaders and, and different programs that the company offer. But we're not going to do it in a year. It's not going to happen in a year. Yeah, it takes time. It well, takes time. If it was that easy, we wouldn't be dealing with it now. It's yeah. not that easy. Well, and and uh, yeah, it takes decades, right? The the let's talk about why why should a company care? Why is it important to have a diverse sales team? Why why is inclusive corporate culture important? I think you need to look like your customer, right? So, you know, I've, of course, me, I've gone into rooms, like I said, in all and gas, and I'm the only person sitting there. And that's a big part of that culture. But I've also worked um, in the public sector. And I've gone into customers in the public sector at top universities. And, you know, and we would go our, our school districts. I mean, Houston ISD, I'm independent school district that I support. They're the fourth largest school district in the and you know, in the country. So you go into um, HISD school district and you're meeting with a diverse group of people, but it would be me and all of my white male leaders. And then there would be an assumption made on who was the person in charge in a room. And guess what? They never got it right because they assumed that the, um, the white male or the white female was in, in charge in that situation, that final decision-making person, and that wasn't the case. So you need to look like your customer. You need to be able to relate to your customer. You, um, and, you know, and then when you're working government contracts, they actually require it. But what, but what happens, as we talked about earlier, they um, just try to put people inside those roles where they never seen, but your customers wanna see you. And, you know, your and customers how? want to see the diversity in the room. Mm -hmm. Your decision makers want to see it. And then, you know, that conversation that we've been having a lot lately, diversity of thought. And not so much diversity of thought of um, thinking so far out the box, but just maybe someone is going to recognize something that someone won't, right? My, my Asian friend, Tiffany, may say, oh, well, Joyce, um, you, you kind of said that in a certain way. And I'm thinking, in my culture, she probably interpreted this way. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I think, you know, being able to understand the, the cultural nuances and, and, under, and, and the, everyone in the room is so important. How, how else can a sales team uh, and a business leverage the advantages that they get from having diversity amongst their ranks? Absolutely. You know, and Another thing we, we make assumptions on is just because you're in a room, um, you know, and there's no diversity in a room, doesn't mean that those people don't have diversity at home. I have diversity at home, right? Many people have diversity at home. So just because 
you don't see that in the room doesn't mean that they don't have, you know, grandchildren or great grandchildren or, I mean, you know, nieces and nephews or whatever that of diverse cultures. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, what would you say if you were, what advice would you give to someone uh, if they're a manager of a team or a, a business leader in general, who's trying to create a more inclusive culture? You know, I will first tell them to self-assess, right? Really understand who they are. I, I was talking to a, a vice president, a senior vice president last year, and I don't really think that his heart was in it. I think he was feeling pressured, right? And so his his first step, I told him, you know, you got to um, start engaging more with people. So he went to his college and I said, before you try to do it in the workforce, maybe you just need to do it outside of the workforce so you can build a comfort zone. So he went to his college and he asked to mentor uh, and he began to um, mentor an African-American male that was there. But first, that, first, I think you need to self-assess and you need to find out where you are on the diversity inclusion radar. Right. You need to really understand your own thought and feelings about things. And then you need to work on you. Otherwise, you're just going to check the box. Leaders have got to have, you know, we used to take more time in training that we don't now. We used to take a lot of leadership retreats. Remember those? The leadership retreats, but now we are just working, 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 we're, you know, keep working. But they've got to take those leadership retreats. They've got to have um, someone come in and, and host, facilitate for them, and really take the assessments and have some open and honest conversation and, and thought about themselves and where they stand and their peers and be able to challenge one another on, on those actions. And yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree, and 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 bringing in that that outside perspective can be so helpful. I think from from someone who is an expert and knows what questions to ask. Where where does empowerment come into play on all this? Where what is the importance of empowerment, and how can business leaders and managers be better at empowering um, diverse diverse employees and women and and and, and women of color? How can we do better? You know, I think by extending invitations, extending invitations, you know, I, I'll have a, <laughs> I, I chuckle on this on LinkedIn all the time. A company in, um, in two days, they'll make a post about how diverse they are at these. And then two days later, they've had this um, event where they've raised money for a national organization, nonprofit, and everyone, and, and they put a picture on there and there's no, no color. Extend invitations to participate. There are so many times I've asked um, leaders, well, if you have something going on in your organization where you, um, you, know, you need help, you wanna do a focus group, whatever, I'm your girl, call me, what have you. Never got a call. Extend invitations. Well, and, and, and tell us a little bit more about the Y Sales Network and and Oval, you know, you you, you mentioned you mentor a ton of college students, right? And and this is this is one of your favorite groups of people to mentor. I think you mentioned. And what 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 is it about college students that make them the ideal mentee? I think they're hungry. I think they 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 want it, and they're also 
great. And I say often by myself that I know what it is to be afraid and fearless at the same time. When I'm talking to college students and they're talking about their next steps and adulting and things, and, and even the ones that are having the greatest college careers, there's this fear of uncertainty and what's next. And when they go out on their own and they're paying bills on their own and they're actually in corporate, if you're in a college environment, they're hugging you so tight when you're in a college environment that when you get out into the real world, you don't get it. And then there's the opposite where they're not hugging you at all in a corporate environment and you get out to the world and you don't get it. I definitely have seen a gap. Um, and I talk about sales quite a bit because I've definitely seen a gap on college campuses where one, they're just not training those um, students on sales jobs. And most of them are gonna end up in some form of a sales job, whether it's called customer service, loan officer, bank, whatever it's called is a sales job. They're gonna have goals and quotas and they're not being prepared for that. And then also they're not, you know, I've haven't seen great resumes sometimes, you know, there's such a tech, they're so focused on these things right here in our hands, the technology and things that a lot of them have not had the, uh, some of the basic things like writing emails, having conversations with people. They're so um, texting on the conversations and there's just a gap between getting them from um, college life to understanding. I have a book, top 10 sales tips for college grads. And it's all about having a plan when you get to the job. What are you going to do? Understanding what your role is, what, what your manager expects of you, how to support your leader, how to support your peers and work with them, because we were just tired of them showing up with their ID and social security card. But they don't know if we don't train them for that. So Y Sales Network um, is a company that I started where we're doing just that. You know, we're providing different training programs and webinars, conferences, podcasts to train not just the college students, but the, the newly college grads and those that are trying to hone in on their profession. Help them understand, here's some sales tips for you. Here's some strategies for you. Um, here's how you can connect to people and be able to move your career. And, you know, the goal is, is to get them where they want to be. As, I, as you said, I call them the next generation of leaders. And we have to prepare them because they are the next generation of leaders. Yeah, well, one thing that I've done historically, which has been helpful, I think, is, um, is with every group of interns that, that the company ever has, I, I sit down with all of them and do and kind of go through their resumes, but as a group. So like, you know, the... 20 people or whatever who are in the internship program at a given time, I'll, uh, and obviously we see this in person now, we do it over the phone, but I'll sit down with them and, and just kind of like put, put someone's resume up on the, up on the, the screen, the big screen and, and, and kind of just go through and edit it and talk about what I see, talk about what I, what I, what I think as I read it, what, you know, what tips I have. And by going through like, you know, 10 of the resumes with the, as a group, I think it, 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 it kind of helps them see things through the employer's eyes, which I, I don't think schools have taught them to do. You know, it doesn't, hasn't taught them to no. see things. And through absolutely. That. That's wonderful that you do that. It's really, they always, they, they, it gets good reviews that, that class. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I, uh, I had one time I had an interview where everyone who was applying for the job was being interviewed at the same time by this panel. And I walked out of that interview thinking, wow, if I don't get this job, it's not 
it's because they're so, I mean, it could be someone with someone's nephew, but if I don't get this job in most cases, because this is a talented room full of people and I'm, you know, whoever gets it hats off to them because, you know, you're, then you're seeing everyone's resume. Mm-hmm. I got the job then. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought that was the most interesting um, interview process, and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. What? Well, where does your passion for diversity and inclusion and mentoring, mentoring young people come from? You know, I just think it comes from my from my life experiences. You know, um, I grew up in Galveston, Texas. I mentioned before, a very small town. Um, I was the only African-American on my high school newspaper. I was the first African-American editor on my high school paper. I, I have said lately, jokingly, but true, that I was that girl on the football field taking pictures and, and writing articles about, I was like, I possibly was the first woman anchor on the football field covering a game. It's possible. <laughs> so, um, and I've just had so many challenges and experiences of my own. I, I've just had so many. And I consider myself maybe maybe in some cases a little stronger than most. And in some cases just having a really great support system in my family that helped me get through. And I've seen other people that didn't have it and they were broken. They were broken. And they, and some of them, you know, I've seen people thrive and go out on their own and build companies and have success, but I've seen a lot of people that were broken. And when I look at my, my high school memory book, it says that I wanna be successful without being a stumbling stone for others. And so I don't want to be the stone that makes them stumble. I want to be the stone where they can put their foot on it and lift up. You know, I, I, I just, from my own experiences, I don't want anyone else to have to experience it. I don't want my nieces to have to experience it. I, I you know, and, and I have a 25-year-old niece that dealt with some things last year. And so I was, you know, in the background helping her write those emails and respond and things of that nature. And it, it broke my heart because now it's just not me, it's my baby. Well, uh, the next section of the, the discussion today is called Sales in 60 Seconds. It's quick questions, quick answers. So first question, what's the number one tip that you give to all your mentees? Close it. Ask for the business, ask for the job, ask for the interview, you know, ask. Don't assume, ask, get a yes. Get a yes or a no, but get, Close get, it. An, get, an, a yes answer, or get no. an answer, get an answer. But don't, get an answer, right? Get, it. A, get an answer. Mr. Customer, what is it, you know, or, or the interview process, you know, what is it about, you know, you learned about me in this interview that makes you feel that I'm a great fit for your team and organization with, and, and recap what they said and what that said, would you hire me? Now, as a woman of color entering the mostly white and male dominated field of sales, what uh, what advice would you give to your younger self? 
that it's not me, it's them. It's not me, it's them. And it's how, it's their perception of me. My aunt told me one year I was some, I experienced something and I was just crying. I was so upset. I was nearly having, I think an anxiety attack. And she said, and I said, he just talked to me. He said, you kept saying you people because you're people. And she said, next time someone says that to you, tell them you don't represent all black people and all black people don't represent you. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, you that's know, that's great and advice. That, and the people that feel that they, that you do, I mean, it is, it's them, not you. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, what are some barriers that sales teams need to overcome in order to create a more diverse and inclusive culture? They, they need to just, you know, I really think this is more about the people who are the decision makers you know, and their levels. And again, they need to ask themselves, why not? Why not hire this person? Why not interview this person? They need to ask themselves the hard questions, why not? And they need to make a decision to do the right thing. What do you think is a way that colleges can use sales classes in order to better prepare students for their future careers? Oh my gosh, you know, first of all, I remember when I was in college, everyone had to take a speech class and they sort of gotten away from that. But I think if, you know, I, so I am right on the line of an extra and an intro, right? No one really knows that. They don't believe when I tell them, but I am. And I think that you, you know, it'll teach them to be, it'll teach them self-confidence. It'll teach them, um, when you're in a room with people, how to still, you know, stand and shake hands and some of the basics, right? Um, you know, personal presence and, and being able to speak and articulate what it is you want, but speak and articulate. And as I said, be able to close it because even if you're an accountant and they say, go find a software for the company and that software is millions of dollars, they got to come back to you, right? And they got to say, well, Here's what it just can't come and put it on your desk and say, "Hey, buy this." You have to go and sell it to the organization, and I think that that's so important. And I've met with so many engineers and people in accounting and in different areas of the business that are afraid to speak and communicate. And I and I really and I and sales and a sales program will would help with that. Absolutely. As an actionable takeaway, if you could get um, the salespeople and sales managers listening today um, to, to do one thing to contribute towards a more diverse and inclusive culture on their sales teams, what would that thing be? You know, I would tell them, you know, I love to bring people together and feed them. People are happy when you feed them everything's happy in the world. And so, <laughs> and like I said, I, I'm a big, um, you know, I'm really big on bringing in outside people to facilitate and things and, and to be able to have those meetings, um, individuals and together. I think for the leaders, um, and this takes a big person with some big shoes um, or underwear on to deal with this, but um, be able to really listen, allow your team to be open and honest as possible with that facilitator. And then when that facilitator gives you that feedback, don't try to figure out who said it, 
Don't try to use it against them. Just take it and take your own self-assessment and understand why, you know, why this is happening on your team. And also create, you know, in, within that group that's been facilitated, most of them when they facilitate those groups, they ask everyone, what can make the team better, right? If we did more of this and if we don't do that, right? And, you know, just do that as a team and don't take an hour to do it. Take a day, take a day, have some team building activities, some trust activities working, find a book that everyone can read and relate to. I love the book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, I can't think of that author right now, but I think it's a great book um, for team building and trust. I've used it uh, throughout the years and it doesn't hurt to have some type of personal assessment done. So find someone who can facilitate that for them. Yeah, Patrick, Patrick Lencioni, I think, wrote that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I really love that book, yeah. And if they can't find someone, they can call me. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it for them. Absolutely. Um, so I guess uh, I'm going to try to summarize all of uh, all the things you've talked about here today. Go ahead. Um, so providing mentorship can help students and people of color get ahead in their careers, right? And Joyce encourages salespeople to also get in front of their customers to understand them better. Um, they want, she wants people to be more mindful when they're hiring so that there's more equality on teams. And she feels that assigning a mentor who has a similar background to new employees is also really helpful so that they can, especially if that mentor is in a leadership position, they can gain a sponsor within the company. And she talked about how important sponsorship was. You want to create a three-year plan for each employee that comes in. And not really, by focusing on, on the long term, that'll help you build a diverse team and get people successful over the long term and really create engaged employees and do better at, at hiring and retaining um, women and people of color. You want to create a diverse team, and it's especially important to, have to that they that'll help that'll help you because then your team will look like your customers, right? A diverse team uh, also brings diversity of thought, which is very beneficial in the selling process. Obviously, different perspectives, for example. Um, you want to create a diverse company culture by first assessing where your company on the diversity and or where your company falls on the diversity and inclusion kind of spectrum. And leaders need to ensure that they're actually open to diversity and, and kind of do that introspection. She Joyce said that leadership retreats can really help for, for that and with challenging leaders to think about inclusion and diversity and take, take, take the time to, to, uh, to really reflect on it. This has been so helpful, uh, Joyce. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to teach us about these things. Where, where can our listeners read more about your work? Um, what's the best way to reach out to you if, if they wanted to go deeper? Well, I am, of course, on LinkedIn, Joyce Johnson, and I think it's JoyceJ, LinkedIn.com forward slash JoyceJ, um, because there are some Joyce Johnsons out there, um, or they can look at me um, at I am, I am, Joyce Johnson is my website. You can always send me 
a note there. It'll come directly to me and I can respond to you there. Um, of course, Y Sales Network is my baby and we're creating a student cohort where we're going to mentor, um, you know, up to 25 students for the next year. So you can reach out to me on Y Sales Network as well. All of my social platforms is I am Joyce Johnson. I am Joyce Johnson, Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, YouTube, and Twitter at I am Joyce Johnson. Fantastic. Well, this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If you work in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps, the number one route planner that helps you sell 20% more and drive 20% less. And we got a free trial, which you can get at badgermapping.com. If anyone can think of people that would uh, benefit from learning the things that Joyce has taught us about today, then definitely share the love and forward this on to them. Joyce, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, hey, take care thank you. And... Thanks for having me. Yeah, this great conversation, fantastic. great topic. Had a great time. Yeah, this is fantastic. So, well, take care until next time, everybody. Bye.